All right. Well, if you have your, your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever you read your Bible on, we are in Ruth chapter 4. Um, we're going to go verses 1 through 12 today, but also have your, if you have a paper Bible, have Ephesians chapter 1 ready because we're pretty much going to try to dive through both of those passages today. If you've, already, if you've ever read Ephesians, it's deep. So we're going to do as much as we can through it. But the reason we're going to do that is because I saw so much correlation between Ruth chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 1. So just so you have an idea, we're going to go from Ruth chapter 4 back to Ephesians chapter 1, back to Ruth chapter 4, just so you can have, a, have those ready as we get going. Um, but hey, I know we just finished praying, but I always like to pray before I preach, as you know. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll, and then we'll jump in. <clears throat> And now, Father, as we dive into your word, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would teach us, convict us, encourage us, whatever is necessary to look like Jesus. I pray it would be teachable, help us to receive, help us to engage with you. Humble us, God, that we could receive what it is that you're trying to teach us. God, may we not jump into um, things or preconceived ideas of what we already have, but always willing to learn from you according to truth. Father, I pray that you'd keep my opinion and my agenda to myself, that we would only hear your truth come forth. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for giving us your word. You are good to us and we're so thankful. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. So, so far where we are in the book of Ruth, um, Boaz has this plan. He's not the, he's not the nearest kinsman redeemer um, for, his fan, or for, for Ruth and for Naomi, but he knows who is. And so he waits at the gate of the, of the town, the gate of the city. And that's kind of where all the civic, like if you have kind of some problem that you need to deal with, it's kind of like um, if there's a personal thing that you need to deal with or if there's a civic thing you need to deal with, that's kind of where it took place. You'd get elders from the community. They would, they would hear what's going on. This kind of thing would be dealt here. And he knows what he's doing and he knows who the person is. And so when he sees him come up, he's like, hey, why don't you come over and sit down? I just want to let you know of something that's going on. Now, we all know that Boaz has this desire that he and Ruth can get married. I mean, he's pretty much kind of head over heels over her. And so, but he's, he's not next in line to be the kinsman. So he comes with this plan. He says, hey, I, just want, to let, I want to let you know what's going on. Uh, Naomi, we know, we know Naomi. She's going to be um, selling her property, and you're the next kinsman. And so I'm letting you know so that you can buy it. And so he's talking about the land. And so when he tells them all about it in verse, in verse four of chapter four, it says, I will, I will redeem. He's like, okay, that's a good deal. I can get more land. And then Boaz, this is the part where he knows what's gonna happen, or at least he has an idea. Verse five, then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it. He was all about it until he realized he got someone with it. Remember that part of the, part of the, part of the responsibility for the kinsmen? This is a different culture, different time. It's not how we do things here in the States. But during this time, this was normal. This is what was prescribed. When he says, okay, you can have the land. And he's like, he's all about it when it's just the land. But when you throw in Ruth, and notice that he says the Moabite. It wasn't just Ruth. It was Ruth the Moabite. Because there was such a stigma about being from Moab. 
But he says, Ruth the Moabite, you also get her, which means you have to keep the family line going. In other words, have, you know, take her as a wife and marry her and have baby or babies. And, and then he starts thinking, wait, wait, wait. So if I do that and this is their land and then there's a son that comes up, then that son gets this inheritance which could really impact my inheritance. And he goes, I can't do this. This is gonna mess up my, my plan. When I saw that phrase, when it, saw, it talks about Ruth the Moabite, because later on you're going to see Boaz refer to say, I will take her as my wife. For those of you, uh, maybe there's, there might be somebody that need to be reminded of this. Please do not allow anyone or anything to define you by that which you've been redeemed from. Here comes Boaz, and he's going to take her as his wife. That's his plan. And when he refers to her, and you'll see it, like I said, later on, you'll see it. But the reason he throws out Moabite is because he knew that this kinsman would say, and then I don't want this, partly probably because of that. And those things in the past that you think of, of those things you have a regret over, I wish that never happened, I wish that I could have done it differently, I wish this never happened to me recently, you're going through something that is so difficult and so hard, I just want to encourage you, do not allow yourself to be identified by that which you've been redeemed from. That struggle, don't let it define you. That addiction, don't let it define you. That relationship or broken relationship, do not let that define you. Friends, it is so important that our identity is so wrapped up in Jesus because Jesus doesn't change while circumstances will. We are first and foremost children of God because we've been redeemed by a great redeemer. I'm so thankful that Boaz seems to be a man above reproach who sees Ruth the woman, not Ruth the Moabite. But he's also a little bit shrewd to make sure that he throws that word in there because he's thinking this is another thing that's just gonna make him not want this, not, not to take this responsibility that he should be taking on. So for those of you that have that thing that just kind of plagues at you, whether it's recent or in the past, my, my prayer for you and what I'm begging you of is please don't let that thing define you. That is not who you are. It's what you've gone through. It's what you're facing, but it's not who you are. So if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and he is Lord of your life, you are his. You belong to Jesus. You belong to God. You are his and he is yours. And that's where your relationship, that's where your identity lands. It starts in the relationship with God. So you get to verse 7. He said, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction the one, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. That's it. You want to do a formal business transaction? We walk up, hey, you, want to, I, you don't want it? It's your responsibility. I just take off my sandal and I just hand it to you. That's it. That's weird. Like if I look from my own little bit of perspective, it's like, okay, we dealt with it. There's even a part, I think it's the book of Deuteronomy, that if the widow who comes with the land that you're supposed to redeem. If she's there and you say, I don't want to take it. So you take off the sandal, you give it to the next person. And then the widow comes up to that redeemer who wouldn't take on the responsibility and spits in his face. And maybe some women are sitting there going, I like that part. Yes, I want to do that. But it's like, it's just supposed to be the shame. The person doesn't have to do it, but it's almost like you're shamed if you don't. 
Well, Ruth isn't there, at least not close enough to go spit in the guy's face. Or maybe it's like, Boaz is like, just keep to the side. Don't do that part because I have a whole plan. So he said, this is how the transaction happened in that day. Verse eight, so when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, uh, he drove a sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malin. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife. To perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the, name of the de- that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. He's like, I want her to be my wife. Think about it, guys. The first redeemer didn't want the responsibility because he just wanted it. Boaz wanted the responsibility because he wanted her. And the same thing can be said about the redeemer that we know as Jesus. He wants you. He wants us. As I've said often, from cover to cover, I believe if you tweet scripture, God with us, that we might be with him. It's in his name. And then in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter four, when it talks about this, that virgin will give birth and he'll give a son and his name shall be, no, not that part. And he will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. So God's with us that we could be with him. Because Jesus isn't just about, hey, get these things going. I'll come do this. Then you can be religious. You can put all these things in place so you're doing the religious thing. No, it has nothing to do with the stuff. It has everything to do with Jesus accomplishing what he accomplished so that we could be in relationship with him because he wants us. The Redeemer wants us. He wants you. So we're going to pause there in Ruth. And go over here to Ephesians chapter 1. And friends, it is, it is such a thick passage. There is so much in this, and it's not, I'm not going to get to do due diligence to it for the next few minutes, few-ish minutes. But in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. You sit there and go, why are we even looking at this? I, I don't know if I see the connection between Redeemer and Ruth. But friends, if, if it's talking so much about Jesus who is our Redeemer, look at what comes with the Redeemer. Guys, he has blessed us. Think about it. Look at what it says. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And then it says, even, even as he chose us, or he chose you, in him before the foundation of the world. What's that mean? That means before I was even here, before I did good or bad, I was chosen by God. He picked me. For those of you in a relationship with Jesus, you've surrendered your life to Christ. It's not because on your own you found God. It wasn't like you went on this self-discovery tour. It's because God chose you before the foundation of the world that you might be found in Christ. To be found in Christ is pretty much to be in right relationship with him. That friends, he didn't leave it up to chance, but he chose you. For those of you that have gone through the wonderful experience of being picked for a team when you're in elementary school, 
And for those that made the first and second cuts, this isn't for you. This part, I'm gonna, what I'm going to say now is not for you because you're the all-star. It's for those that maybe didn't make the cut the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, twelfth round, maybe a little bit further down the line. And you hear something like, well, I guess I'll take them. At no point has God ever said, I guess I'll take Brian. Can't do much worse. Guys, it's not like he was stuck with us. He chose you. He wants you. He wanted you before the foundation of the world. So as I say often, before he said, let there be light, he said, let them be mine. And then it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. As sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Guys, you see this part? According to the purpose of his will. Guys, I don't know about you, but how often, I'll just say for me, how often do I find myself trying to push my purpose and my desires, and this is what I'm gonna do. Oh yeah, by the way, God, would you bless what I'm about to do? I haven't talked to you about it yet, but this is what I think is a good plan. Good friends, we have to realize and remember, constantly remember this, God has a purpose. And has a will, and it's his. And this whole thing that's been explained so far, when the fall happened in Genesis chapter three, when, when sin entered into the world, it's not like God had to come up with another plan. It's like, oh, that one didn't work. I'll try this one. Plan B, Jesus comes in the flesh, takes a cross, dies, comes back from the dead. It's gonna be beautiful. They'll even have a Christmas holiday. They can celebrate me all the time. Plan B, it's gonna come together. Guys, there's never been a plan B. No, ne- there's, it's never been necessary to have a plan B. There's always been plan A, one plan. God in his sovereignty, God in his in his preeminence, God in his in omniscience, God in everything, knew all this would happen, and he still put the plan in motion. He said, I go, Brian, do you know how much brokenness in the world? Of course I do. To the extent of what it is? No. I don't think any of us know the extent of how much brokenness and pain there is in the world. But I can tell us this. I can remind us of this. I would not know and understand God's goodness if there was nothing bad. I wouldn't understand his faithfulness if I didn't have to go through some trying situations. I wouldn't understand his patience towards me if I didn't have to experience some things that just made me impatient. That God uses the frailty of our persons and he uses the brokenness of creation to teach about his goodness and his faithfulness. Because it's his purpose, his plan, his will, Not one of many options, one. Verse seven, in him or in Christ, we have redemption. Here's how it connects. So I don't know if I see Ruth and Ephesians one connecting. I do if I look at the redeemer who redeems and this, this word of redemption. In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, through the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now watch, this, now watch the next phrase that Paul uses to describe grace, which he, which God lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. It wasn't just leftovers or just enough, or I almost got you enough, lavished, dunked you. Guys, that's how good he is. 
He knows our need, and then he gives us more to care for us, to love us, to guide us, to protect us, to move us. Guys, we can't take another step toward the life that God wants us to live without this grace that he lavishes upon us. So for those that like the self-sufficiency or the self-sufficiency that you believe that you have, this drives you crazy. This past week, I was speaking up. Um, I was speaking up at Hume. I was working with a bunch. I was speaking to a bunch of young adults. Uh, they have a year-long discipleship um, program up there, and so I was having breakfast, and there was this young lady sitting there. And she, as I started to ask questions, I'd, I'd say I'd ask questions like, "Hey, what's your what's the best thing about being up here in this program? What's the hardest thing about being here in this program?" And while they're talking, I'm just eating breakfast. And at some point she says, I just really struggle with control. And it's connected to the story of what she's experienced all growing up with her parents and family members. And so I'm just listening to the whole thing. And I said, wait, you struggle with control. She goes, I do, I struggle with control. Like I, have, I wanna have control. I said, as you said that, here's the picture that came into my mind. I picture, like picture a five-year-old holding a leash that's connected to a tiger. That's the, that's the picture that came in my mind. Is that five-year-old really in control of the tiger? She goes, well, absolutely not. I said, do you, feel, do you find your connection? It's crazy. All these things were popping in my head. I'm going, okay, this might be a God moment because I'm not, I'm, not I'm not this quick on my feet. And I said, hey, do you, ever find, do you ever find yourself pushing people away because you feel like you need to be in control all the time? I said, so think about it. That which you think you have control over, which you really don't because you're like a five-year-old holding the leash of a tiger, that's not reality. I don't know that it's control. I think it's fear. And all of a sudden, she tears up. I'm like, I'm really good. No, I'm just joking. I said, I was like, oh, crud, I just hit a nerve. I said, do you ever find yourself, like, think about it. You're holding on to this idea and you're prescribing something that's not true. It's not correct. You're starting with control and I think it's fear. Fear is holding you back from moving where God wants you to go. And you don't want to go through the things because he's going to prick and prod at these things that you don't want anyone else to know. I use this phrase. It's like he's not afraid to open up every closet in your life and to deal with every single thing because he loves you that much. But as long as you keep people away, You'll never into the relationship that God wants you to have with others. And all of a sudden, tears are just streaming. I was like, I'm, I'm so, I felt horrible. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And so I run and get napkins and I come back. I said, here you go. And it wasn't just like one and then I'll dab it for her. I just kind of threw them on the table. A big old bunch of them. And she's like, thanks. And she's just wiping her face. I'm so thankful for the grace of God that he lavishes on us, that he'll confront the things that are necessary, that we are experiencing the life that he wants us to live. But friends, I want to invite you, do not push against it, run with and through it. And be honest in the process and confess those things and repent from things and keep turning to Jesus. Don't give up because he's giving you all the grace necessary to deal with those things so that you don't feel like you're in bondage to them. He wants you free. The Redeemer always wants those that he redeems to be free. So verse eight again, which he lavished, this grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him or in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And then you go back to verse 11 again. In him, there's that phrase, in him. 
Guys, that phrase is so important. And I know for maybe for sitting there going, some of you are sitting there going, I love deeper theology stuff. Thank you so much. And others are sitting there going, what's the point? Here's the point. To be in Christ means that you are in relationship with him. But you, it's like, picture this. As the Father looks upon you, if you are in Christ, he doesn't see you in your sin. He sees Jesus. He's looking you through the lens of Jesus. Forgiven, holy, pure. If Jesus is the one that, when, when Jesus was baptized and, and the Father says, hey, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I love him. Do you realize the Father adores you as much as he does the Son? You're in Christ. And so the way that you live now is not to appease or to achieve, but to simply walk with God who loves you, who sees you as holy, pure, forgiven, his righteous that's to be in christ and he did it all he made it all necessary for those who may sit there going i'm not i don't have a relationship with jesus what are you saying about me then you're not in christ and that's not like a haha this is like i want you to hear the reality if you don't have a relationship with jesus then you're not in christ and to not be in christ means you are not forgiven you are not in right standing with god you are not righteous before him you're not seen as pure you're not seen as holy but i can tell you this that god so loved the world that he gave his son that jesus still came for you But without Christ, you stand before God one day and you will have to answer to him. And this is the main question. What did you do with my son? And for those that say, I surrendered my life. He's Lord of my life. I know he died and came back from the dead. You're his. For those that didn't and you don't want him, then God does not force you into that for eternity. But you'll be separated away from him in hell. And it's such a harsh, we think it's such a harsh teaching Friends, we go back to the cross and realize what Jesus endured so that it doesn't have to be your reality. To be in Christ, we just, we just kind of skip over that word because we're just trying to get the, the bigger picture. No, don't, don't skip over it because to be in him, that's everything. Everything stems from that. So in him, we have obtained an inheritance. There's the other word that stood out to me. Yes, we have redemption, but we have an inheritance. And we saw that, that word for, or we saw that, that concept of that word inheritance back in Ruth chapter four. Like, what do we get out of this? What's still coming? In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, follower of Jesus, does it freak you out at all that right now, the Holy Spirit who is God, the third person of the Trinity, almighty, all-powerful God resides in you? Or do we even notice Is there any difference? 
any difference in our surrendering to Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwelling us? Do we see any change, any difference when Jesus promises that, hey, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Do we even get it? This power that God gives us or this fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do we see any of those things that it's just beyond the norm of a good moral person? Do you see the change? It doesn't mean we won't struggle with those things. I mean, if we're really honest, and we'll do a show of hands here, do you ever feel like you just really have a hard time loving that person? Put them up. Now, get charismatic this morning. It's like, I did it. I saw it. No, put it up. Yeah, how about patience? Why is there, why is there traffic on a Saturday night going west on the 210? I don't get it. Didn't used to be like that, but it is now, especially when you're in a hurry. How about peace? Because isn't it amazing how the what if, the what if or the what about seems to take away the peace? And so there's this battle against it, right? And so then what should we do in those moments? We say this, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Holy Spirit, would you give me peace? Holy Spirit, would you give me patience? Say, Brian, I'll be, I'll be praying all day. And maybe that's the point. Isn't it amazing? We only pray when things get really, really, really bad. But not just really bad. Or not just bad. Or not just difficult. We only pray, oh God, help me. When it gets to the point, it's like, I got nothing left. And maybe we need to remember that we're like the five-year-old holding the leash to a tiger. We've never had control in the first place. And so I should be asking, God, help me to become meek. Help me, God. Holy Spirit, would you help me to be gentle? Now, maybe for men, we sit there and go, I'm not that one. Man, ugh. Friends, I gotta be honest. Gentlemen, we should be striving to be more like Jesus than each other. Or this concept of what manhood looks like. Is there this toughness we have? Absolutely. Women, so do you. You should be tough. But our example of men, our example of manhood is Jesus, and he's meek. He's a gentle, quiet strength. He has the perfect emotional reaction to every single situation that comes up in the moment. And I sit there and go, I don't. Holy Spirit, would you help me be meek? Would you help me be gentle? Would you help me have self-control? Holy Spirit, I'm feeling like I just want to, I want to do that and I know I, I shouldn't, it's not good for me, but I really, do, I really want to, so Holy Spirit, would you help me? And then to know that this Holy Spirit is not just there for our help, which is huge and we should be asking him all the time, but he's also in us as the guarantee of the salvation that we get. This inheritance that's ours, guys, I will tell you this, right now, right now is the closest that you'll ever get to hell. But this is, not the closest that, this is not the closest that you'll ever be to the presence of God. There's heaven coming and there's an inheritance that's coming and it's our, the ultimate of our salvation and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we'll see it. That's why I'm convinced that when you surrender your life to Jesus, you can't lose it. He's the guarantee of it. Brian, what if a person starts to wander off isn't it great that God will do whatever it takes, even if he has to break the person to bring him back, to bring her back? Well, they never did. Well, what, are you sure that they ever knew him? 
But all I can tell those of you, your follower of Jesus, he who began a good work and you will carry it to completion. You will make it. That verse, Philippians 1, 6, I go to it all the time. He who began the good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ. Until either he comes back and we, we see him in the air, or I die him and in his presence, he says, I'm committed to you to the very end. Friends, that's what covenant relationship looks like. And that's what's ours. And it all started when he chose us before the foundation of the world. Guys, he's that good. Continue on, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of, of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Stop there for just a second. Look at that verse again, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope. The hope that you've been called to. Guys, you're going to make it. No matter how hard it is right now, you're going to make it. He's going to bring you through. God has never failed. But Brian, they still hurt me. Aren't you so thankful that we have a redeemer what it feels like? He knows what it feels like to be hurt. He knows what it feels like to have somebody stab him in the back. Guys, he knows what, it he knows what it's like to have one of his closest friends betray him over to death. He knows what it's like to see the suffering of humanity. He knows what it's like for those of you that you've lost to death. He watched it. He knew how hard it was on mom. Guys, he gets it. He understands it. Guys, he was surrounded. You know, you, you have this multitude of people with all these problems and pains and hurts, and Jesus would just love them and heal them, and some he wouldn't because he had a will and a purpose. Because he knew what it was like for a man with leprosy. He knew how desperate he was to come before him when he's surrounded by a crowd, touching his way, touching people as he got to Jesus, making all of them unclean, and to just simply fall before Jesus in desperation and say, if you want to, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved by compassion even though he wasn't supposed to touch a man with leprosy, it says he reached out his hand and touched him and then said, I'm willing, be clean. You ever wonder why he touched him before he healed him? Because I'm convinced that the man needed to, he needed to be touched in that moment more than healed. And I know no, that can't be true. Guys, if you have leprosy in that day, everyone stays away from you. 
You walk down the street unclean. You have to put your hand over your mouth and point to people if you see them. And you say unclean so they can get out of the way. No high fives, no handshakes, no knuckle bumps, no safe Christian hug, no safe French Christian hug. It's like, no, nothing, no physical contact. Nobody wants to be around you. And everyone thinks that God's against you. And here comes Jesus, God in the flesh, son of God. The first thing he does for this person, this man in desperation was touch him because Jesus, the redeemer, knows what we need. He gets it. And what we should be praying for is that our eyes and our hearts would be enlightened to know what is the hope. The hope. That as hard as things might get or as hard as things are, Jesus gets it. And so in those moments, if this is what you're experiencing right now, it's a difficult time when you should be praying. You can always pray, God, would you take this away? Would you take this away? And if God decides not to, then this is what we pray. God, would you enlighten the eyes of my heart that I could see this surpassing hope? Like, I don't get what I'm seeing and it doesn't make sense in my mind, but would you help me? Would you help me perceive And understand this limitless hope that I have in you. But then this part, to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? His glorious inheritance in the saints. The New Living Translation says it this way. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Guys, our inheritance is God and everything he is and everything he wants to give. And he's preparing a place for us and there's things up there we've never even thought of seeing or colors we've never even imagined. Guys, what that looks like is amazing. His inheritance is us. You ever feel like you got the short end of the stick on that one? It's like, I get God? He's like, yeah, I get you, yep. And then you get me. Yep. And he doesn't say it with less passion. It's not like a... You ever play one of those fair games? You go to the fair and you play those games that are all rigged, thinking that you're going to nail it the first time. Isn't it amazing you can be an incredible athlete until you play one of those games? And that... that <laughs> like shooting a ball into a hoop. I mean, you... You, you, you shot, I mean, your free throw percentage was like 98% all throughout your high school or middle school career. Maybe that's how you, maybe you stopped at ninth grade, but whatever it was, you're just shooting over and over, just nailed a, a free throw. And then you go to that game. And then your pride's in it because everyone knows that you played that sport. And for those that played baseball or softball, it's like, you just got to take this ball and knock those things over. And so you do, and it's like, what the heck? How did those three things stand up? And so then what do you do? You got to prove them wrong. So you just start buying more tickets, more tickets, more tickets, more tickets, more tickets, boom, boom, boom. And then boom, you did it. You're like, I'm a champion. And then they give you this thing. And it's like the prize that seriously costs about 12 cents. And you just spend $750 on it. It's nothing. 
please understand this, at no point does God think of you as a really junky prize from a fair game. You are his glorious inheritance. Think about, how do I know? Because of all that he did. In a couple weeks, we celebrate the birth of the Son of God, and his birth points to what? Our redemption. Friends, he could have come as a grown man, ticked off enough people in a few days, and gone to a cross, and died on a cross, came back from the dead, but that was not his plan. That was not his will. He's not working through things as quickly as we think he should, but he comes as a baby, and he's born, and he lives this life experiencing all the things that we have to go through. Young people, he experienced puberty. That one just blows my mind. He went through it. I'm thinking it's, if I'm God, that's, I might skip that part. But he goes through it. Like I said, he's gone through loss. He goes through joys. He goes through sorrows. But he experienced life. The writer of Hebrews says that he learned, he learned obedience through suffering. Think about it. God came and purposefully put himself in suffering. And he learned obedience to that suffering so that he could be the great high priest, according to the book of Hebrews, he could be the great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Who's been tempted in every way, yet without sin. He didn't have to do all that, but he did it. Why? Ultimately, to take the cross, to take the wrath of God, to pay the payment necessary for us to be reconciled to God, to come back from the dead, to ascend and to make the proclamation, the promise, hey, I'm coming back one day. All of this and so much more than I could ever, I could never truly describe everything that he did, but all of it so that we could be his glorious inheritance. Friends, no one will ever or has ever loved you that much. Isn't it amazing that when you go back to Ruth chapter 4, the nearest redeemer wouldn't take the responsibility, the nearest kinsman redeemer wouldn't take the responsibility because it came with losing part of his inheritance. And yet when you look at Boaz, who is the Christ figure in our story in Ruth chapter 4, I don't think he really cared about the land. He was doing fine. He just wanted her. In other words, she was his glorious inheritance. Isn't that beautiful? As we keep going, verse, uh, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness for his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. <clears throat> Let this be a reminder for all of us, myself included, May we never dumb down Jesus. Just, maybe he, let's never dumb him down where he's just a little bit more impressive than anyone else here on the planet. It says he's far above all rule and authority. 
He's far above every government official, every ruler on the planet, every king, queen, president, prime minister. He's above it all. He's far above it all. And I gotta be honest, I am so thankful that our God is not, he's not constrained by what happens on this planet, but he's in charge. He over, he's over all of it. Because we as humans seem to have a great ability to mess everything up. Followers of Jesus, we should have hope in the most trying of times and trying of circumstances because Jesus is far above all rule and authority. But think about this past week. Has that come into your mind? Who Jesus is should impact my view of each day and what it is that I face and what it is that I'll endure and what it is that I'll celebrate his rulership over everything should truly impact my day-to-day life, not just when I see him, but right now. In verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. That's fantastic. The best thing that God could ever give to us, his church, You know what it is? Himself. Brian, do you just bring up Jesus? Like, is it just Jesus? Yes, it's just Jesus. Like, you just keep saying, just love Jesus. Yes, just love Jesus. Just love him with everything you got. Just everything. Just, I want to be so consumed with him. And friends, I don't know that I've always been like that. Even when I was doing ministry earlier on, even when I was being a youth pastor, it's like, I want you to love Jesus. But here's also what you'll need in life. And I just sit there and go, man, I missed out on a lot in the beginning. Because if I, just, if I could just remind us, friends, it's not about the traditions or the rules or the regulations or this religious experience. No, no, no. Just love Jesus. Just love him and do what he says. Trust him, walk with him, spend time with him, get in the word, be in prayer, serve, meet people, be his hands and his feet, be the words of consolation and comfort that other people need. Get in the game, get in the fight. Instead of just be Christian, a way or a word that is so wrongly defined today, but to be people who truly love Jesus and want to follow him, who are known as disciples and followers of the way, that there is nothing and no one greater than him. That Jesus was given to us, the church. And then look at what he says about the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Friends, this gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose, you said they go, there's a lot of people that can say, well, we're a church then. You just get people together and you're at church. No, 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 no. Here's, here's the difference. I can have a massive gathering. I mean, I can go to a concert. It's nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus isn't elevated. In fact, maybe Jesus is ridiculed. And that's a gathering. If you feel that's a church. That's not a church. Here's the difference. The church has the fullness of Christ filling it. That's the difference. Followers of Jesus, as we the church, as we gather, and as we go out and we live our lives, and we gather with other followers of Jesus who are part of other communities of faith, 
Like they're part of other congregations. That word congregations. We are still filled by Jesus. That's the difference. Ephesians chapter one points us to this inheritance, this idea of redemption. We look at Boaz, who was the redeemer of Ruth, who would have been left to her own to live in poverty, and yet he took her on. He says, I don't just, hey, I'm not just getting the stuff, I want her. And it's not Ruth the Moabite, no, she's gonna be my wife. He purchased her. Like, oh, I don't like that word. Guys, again, we're not, we're not in the first century. No, this is prior to first century. We're not then. This is different culture, different time. But I can connect to what Jesus did for us, right? He purchased her because the Redeemer purchased her because he wanted her. And the Redeemer purchased us with his own shed blood because he wanted us. We go back to Ruth chapter 4, starting verse 11 to 12, and this is where we'll land. It says, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman. I love that part. Because the Redeemer called him, now this is my conviction about it. Boaz the Redeemer didn't refer only to her as the Moabite, but referred to her as his wife. And so when the witnesses start to bless, this is going to be a blessing that they, that they give to them. Did you notice what they call her? We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman. Say, how is that a, how is that a good thing? Guys, think about it. That goes all the way back. Ladies, that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Dignity and honor and respect, love and adoration. It's like, this is her. Not defined by that thing, but defined by the one who redeemed her. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. In other words, they're the ones that were used like Israel became Israel because of Rachel and Leah. All the people came from that, from that family line. Who together built the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah, which is another word for Bethlehem, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. We don't have enough time to get into all those stories, but pretty much Bethlehem was a city because of Perez. So they're saying, okay, I just pray, we pray that God would bless this and that we see this, we see offspring. Now watch the way that they would, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So they're going, so you just want them to have a bunch of babies? Well, sure. But from Boaz and Ruth would come Obed. From Obed would come Jesse. From Jesse would come David. And later on, through the line of David, would come Jesus. Think about it. I guarantee you that none of them, none of the witnesses, none of the elders were thinking that when they said it. Friends, we have such a limited perspective. You imagine as the blessings were coming out of their mouths, 
Can you imagine God in heaven going, oh, you have no idea. You have no idea when you just said, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by the young woman, the offspring that the Lord would give was himself. Mind-blowing. Friends, we're going to continue through the book of Ruth next week, and we're going to close on the genealogy at Christmas Eve, and you're like, really? That's the Christmas message? Oh, it's the Christmas message. Friends, I think it is so important for us to pause in this moment and think, wow, God, when I don't see what you're doing, God, would you give me your perspective? When I don't understand why you're letting things happen or why you're not stepping in, would you give me patience to wait on what it is you're going to do? Because you have your will, not a will, your will. And I've prayed this before, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe we need to pray, God, don't let me jump to conclusions based upon my inability to see what's coming. Because friends, this wasn't just gonna be a blessing for the next couple generations. Do you realize that Boaz was told, hey, we pray this blessing over and we know, we know that he knew Obed. But if Boaz is a lot older than Ruth, he might not have ever seen who was next. He might not have, not have ever seen Jesse. But I guarantee you that he never met David. He never knew that David would become one of the greatest, greatest kings that ever walked the planet with some mishaps and sins along the way. But what was, what was it like when Boaz... The redeemer in this story stood before Jesus, the true kinsman redeemer, and to hear Jesus say this, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, redeemer. And what if at that moment it just clicked for him? He's like, I never even thought this is what I'd get to be part of. In the family line of Jesus is Boaz and Ruth. Boaz came as the redeemer, gave Ruth an inheritance. But Boaz's, Boaz's inheritance was Ruth herself. And I can tell you the same thing can be true or is true of those of you with a, with a relationship with Jesus. Your redeemer, he purchased you and you are his inheritance. You are what he longs for the most. You are the one that he paid everything necessary. For those that are here or listening online or watching online now or later, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, oh, how we pray that you would, that you would come to surrender to him as Lord of your life, as master and believe in his death, burial, and resurrection that you could be in right relationship with him, that you could be in Christ. And everything that, everything that scripture just described in Ephesians chapter one is yours. But above all, he's yours. As the worship team comes back up, as we close out our time this morning in our worship gathering, think through it. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you what the Bible says. 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. To confess is to say something in such a way that your life will follow the declaration. That's what that word means. The word Lord means master. And so it's no longer you getting to tell Jesus what he should be doing. It's us giving up our rights to ourselves and saying, I will follow you. I want to follow you. It's all about you. And when you say yes to following Jesus, the first thing that he gives you is salvation. I mean, that's the gift. To be in Christ, salvation. Think about it. Forgiven, right standing before God, chosen before the foundation of the world, all this in his timetable. You get him. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you. Or if you're watching online and you, haven't, you don't know Christ, you haven't surrendered to him. I want to make sure it's clear. You haven't surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. I would love to give you that opportunity. Now, friends, you don't have to stand up. I'll say that to the day I die. Because you're not saved by any work. Now, some have that experience. I remember the day I stood up, and I do too. But I wasn't saved by that work. When I stood up, it was just me it's the day I got to remember. I stood up because I surrendered to Jesus. You're not saved by any work so no one can boast. But if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus and you haven't surrendered to his lordship, I want to invite you now. Again, you don't have to stand up, but if you want to remember, hey, I did. I just surrendered to Jesus. And you might not understand it all, but you're surrendering to Jesus as the Lord of your life. With every head up and every eye open and everyone watching, if you would like to let us know as a, as a family of God, as his church, that you're surrendering to Jesus, and again, you don't have to, but if you want to remember that on this date, December 11th, 2022, is that's the day I surrendered. I remember I stood up because I wanted my family to know. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to surrender to Jesus, you can do that now if you want to stand up and let us know. Would you stand up now? If you say you want to surrender to Christ and you never have. Okay. You know the beauty of this though? Like I know sometimes people go, poor Brian. Poor Brian, he really went for it. Guys, it's not even my thing. The joy is I just get to preach Jesus. I don't get to take the credit and I don't have to take the blame. I just get to talk about Jesus. Salvation is his. He saves. Followers of Jesus, may this never discourage you, but may we continue to go out and tell people about Jesus, our Redeemer, our inheritance, and be blown away by the fact that we are his glorious inheritance. Let me pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you. I know I make a joke about it. Like you're kind of stuck with us. We get you and you get us. God, that's not right for me to maybe even joke about. You define us as your glorious inheritance in the saints. May the truth of that reality and that identity, the identity that we have in that truth, God, may that impact everything in us. We are your glorious inheritance in the saints.
But Jesus, we thank you that you redeemed us and you've given us an inheritance. So God, because of that, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all of Christ's followers say, amen. Love you all more than you.